Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the 4Jack Podcast. On today's show, we have the mini tour legend and co-host of the Subpar Podcast, as well as the Gravy and the Sleaze Sirius XM show, the Sleaze Man himself, Drew Stoltz. We chop it up with some PGA Tour talk and the success that him and Colt Nost have had in their young media career, as well as going all the way back to learn a little bit more about Sleaze. This was an absolute blast of an interview that we hope you all enjoy. Cheers. Welcome to the 4Jack Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the 4Jack Podcast brought to you by Jackson Labs. Back in the lab today on a, actually a bit of a chilly day, you know, it, it is winter now in Edmonton, but... You know what? We're just going to talk about some warmer places with a nice little fun guest today. But first, say hello to the fellas. Parks, what's going on? Not much, boys. Yeah, sad to hear it's weather, winter, shutdown, golf season in Edmonton. That's a little dicey. It's still beautiful in Vancouver. We got blue skies, probably 15, partly cloudy today. Mm. Nice day for golf. Yeah, excited to jump into this next guest, Mr. 85255, as he's known on the interweb. It's going to be a fun one. I love it. Tombo? What's up, boys? Excited to be here today. I've actually been listening to a lot of this next guest radio show on Sirius XM, Gravy and the Sleaze. Great show. Love your guys' take on the game. You guys are very well-spoken. And even what you guys were doing with ESPN as far as your on-course commentary, I think there needs to be a little more of that in life. So excited to talk with him today. Well, I mean, you kind of gave away the guest there, but we'll just go into it anyways. Co-host Everything of but the name. Yeah, co-host of Gravy <laughs> and the Sleeves, as well as the subpar podcast, Drew Stoltz. What's happening, dude? Boys, good to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. This is a nice little role reversal here. I just get to tune in. I don't have to have any questions prep, no background research, no nothing. So just look forward to chopping it up with you guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. You know what? You're you're a really good guest, but you're a terrible liar. You don't do any research anyways, do you? You're right. It's, <laughs> I, got it. I didn't want to out myself there, yeah. but it's pretty off the cuff, pretty much, you know, just winging it and fake it till you make it type of a deal. But that's uh, the way to yeah, go, this man. is nice to be on with you guys. Love, uh, love uh, talking a little Canada. It's been a lot of time up there, so we'll, we'll get into all that. I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. And for the people that don't know, or have never listened to or been living under a rock, I mean, you guys have kind of cultivated quite the quite the pod, you and Colt. Uh, I'm a huge fan. I have been pretty Thanks, much man. since day one. Uh, the minute you guys came out, I was like, ooh, this is going to be good. And to be honest, I went hard on it today even. Uh, you guys had Tony Romo came out today, and I'll be honest, it was nice to listen to him. Just kind of, it, it seems like you always get picked on quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. am, am I wrong here? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, that Tony's a little different because, like, uh, I'm I'm pretty close with Tony, so we go back probably seven, eight years back when he was still the dude in Dallas, right? Being starting quarterback, star, all that stuff. He actually came out to Arizona for a golf trip when uh, a, a buddy, a guy I'd gotten to know in Denver, because I grew up in Colorado, right? So when Kyle Orton is the quarterback for the Chicago Bears, he got traded to the Denver Broncos. Kyle got to be really close with one of my best buddies there in Denver. And I, that was at the time when I was still traveling. I spent a lot of time in Denver coming back and forth from Canada. I would just go to Denver as opposed to Arizona because it's like 120 here and I could get a lot more done in Denver than I could down here. So when I come back, my buddy was like, yo, Kyle Orton, he's a huge golfer, just got traded to the Broncos. Let's play. So we started playing a ton with Kyle Orton. 
Then fast forward a few years, Kyle gets shipped down to Dallas. Now he's backing up Tony Romo. They get to be buddies. They start chattering at each other. They set up like a quote unquote writer cup where Tony grabbed a bunch of his friends from Dallas, right? Kyle grabbed a bunch of his friends from Denver and we had a little writer cup out here in Arizona. So Tony flew in, Kyle flew in, we set up teams. We had a, we did it like the president's cup. Like you put one person out, we match it with somebody else, right? Did the whole shit. Right. We went through points and a tournament, little competition at the end. And, um, so I played a little with Tony that week. And then when we got to the singles portion, they threw Tony or they threw me out. And Tony was like, I want to play him. So we went head to head in singles and we kind of hit it off. We had a good time. Right. And uh, from that point forward, we just stayed in touch. I mean, we've, we've gone on a bunch of vacations and stuff together. So like there's a there's a long friendship there. So, yeah, obviously with Tony, like the needle comes to me uh over cult or whatever but also i give a lot of shit on the show i kind of just like i don't want it to be like oprah or the view or like we're not trying to give like the most serious interviews in the world it's like we'll throw jabs at each other and so if you're gonna throw jabs you gotta be able to take them and i I, i'm all for it so i got no issue with it whatsoever so i'm kind of the easy target i guess i really do wish that you got to bring up that rug story with him though in that interview i would have loved to have heard his opinion on that Dude, we should we totally whiffed on that. Full disclosure. So we had Tony booked. We did Jordan Spieth uh, one evening after a round of golf. That was the interview. I got a little loose. I, got I was going to bring this that. up. I got I a lot of shit. Good one though. You guys were having beers. Like it was oh, we had a gosh, right. It was good. We had a ball. Like trying to show a guy it's a multi-major champion. Like hey, he's just one of the fellas. You know what I mean? Like like I said, we're not trying to be the view. Like we want to be three guys sitting around a table after a round of golf and. Sure enough, what happens sometimes when you're sitting around with the fellas, you accidentally might have one, two, three too many pops. And by the end of that show, apparently I was pretty blasted. I didn't really even realize it at the time, but I was getting these Twitters and instant, how drunk is sleaze, God damn, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, shit, I didn't even realize it. But at the same time, I'm like, dude, here's Jordan Spieth having a good time. We got a 90 minutes with the guy. What do yeah, you want me to roll, do? Yeah, let's roll, Dude, he was one of my so favorite I interviews. up a little bit there. Yeah, so Tony was supposed to be directly after Jordan. We are going to film at the same time. We we're supposed to play golf that day. Tony being Tony, schedule gets all out of whack, and we had to reschedule a bunch of times. Long story short, we ended up having to record him the next morning before he took off to go broadcast the whatever NFL game he was doing that day. And it was really early in the morning. It was like 8 a.m., which is 6 a.m. Scottsdale time. I'm not a great morning person, and we also had a fairly big night the night before. So my brain wasn't like quite all the way working at the time. We totally spaced on the rug story. But, yeah, that was one of – that combined with the Jordan Spieth story where I accidentally sent him the text that said <laughs> game so over good. for Spieth after I bet against him and accidentally sent it to Jordan. I was like, dude – the wow. people listening to this are going to think I'm the biggest fuck up in the history of mankind. We're the you know biggest I mean? legend. Like, yeah. Oh, dude. But yeah, how, the did, Tony, how did he take it? How did he take it? Who speak? Yeah. yeah, dude. So when I sent like, it, Who I the fuck is this? A hundred percent. So we were on a bunch of group texts from playing in Dallas, and we put, I I knew Jordan. We're friendly. I'm not going to sit here and say Jordan and I are best buddies, but he knows who I am, and we played golf together and stuff. So we're on group texts, like setting up games and stuff when we were in town. And then lo and behold, when I bet against him, I was trying to text my buddy because we were going to win our bet. Hideki Matsuyama was going to end up beating him after his after Jordan's collapse on 10. I accidentally sent it to Jordan. And as soon as I realized what I'd done, I was like, oh, my God, dude, I was on Google. Like, how do you unsend a text message and shit? And so the, the text came up. The text came up green when I sent it. So I was like, dude, all maybe. Time maybe he got a new phone because the famous people are changing their shit all the time. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they got to get new cell phone numbers like twice a year because people get it leaked and they get blasted. So I was like, dude, there's a good chance because of people that like this you. is, a, yeah, that this yeah. is an old phone and this <laughs> n- number no longer works anymore. I think I'm in the, I think I'm in the clear because I didn't hear anything. I'm not bullshitting you, dude. 
eight minutes after he tapped in for, I think he shot 80 or 81. He shot in the eighties, which is like, he's done it twice on the, it's like his literal worst round as a professional. Yeah, yeah. I get a text back that says, thanks for that. And I was like, Oh my God. Dude. So I actually called Tony cause Tony and Jordan are close friends. I was like, dude, you're not going to believe what I did. I just did the dumbest thing in the world. And Tony gave me this like huge roundabout. All right, here's what you need to do. You gotta, you gotta first, you gotta address it head on, but you need to say that you bet on him and not against him and all that. I was like, this is, this will never work. Did you feel like <laughs> you're like in the huddle there with him? Just like trying to yeah, come up all with right. a plan? Was, Take the ball. Like, conflict management with tony Rome. he was telling me how to do all this stuff and at the end of the day i sent this like massive text like this long apologizing never got a response from jordan so i was like well i'm dead you know i'll yeah. never be friends with jordan again but dude honestly like he took it so well we've seen each other a bunch of times he's been on our radio show and yeah. it was like water under the bridge and then of course colt brought it back up again but it's all in good fun dude like he gets it i wasn't trying to be mean or an asshole or anything he knows yeah. i love the guy can't say enough good things about jordan spieth but yeah, definitely uh, not my finest moment that combined with the chinchilla rug or whatever Romo had in his house <laughs> that I absolutely obliterated. <laughs> let's okay, let's get a hot take on Jordan's game and where you think where you think he's at and where you think it's going. You got yeah, man. I mean, I know for a fact I can just speak on what he said. I mean, there's nobody that works harder. There's nobody that wants to be back more than Jordan Spieth. I feel bad for the guy right now because every single term he goes to and he can and and he doesn't have the week he wants. Right, like the he just gets bombarded. Yeah. With the same questions, like what's wrong with all this? I was like, dude, if he knew the answer to that, he'd be fixing it. Like he's mm -hmm. working hard. He's doing everything he can. I am not at all closing the book on Jordan Spieth. I think that guy will be God, back. No. There's no bigger competitor. He's already had a Hall of Fame career, but he's not like content with that. He is a competitor. He wants to be great. He will do everything. And we forget just how young this kid is, dude. Yeah. It wasn't too long ago that guys coming on the PGA tour at Jordan Spieth days, that was considered like, they're just starting to enter their prime, right? Oh, yeah. It was like almost late twenties, early thirties, all the way through your mid to later thirties. That was your quote unquote prime. We're just skewed now because so many young guys that are studs are coming in. Like you're calling more cow is mm -hmm. picking off a major at age 22. Matthew Wolf almost got it done. We're seeing uh, John Roms and shit. Joaquin Neiman feels like he's been on the tour for eight years. The guy's 21 years old. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're just skewed now that we expect more from super young guys. Spieth is still at an age where he's got an entire career ahead of him. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I fully believe he'll win another major in, in his time. Well, he just needs to learn to drive the ball. He'll, he'll win multiple fairway. more. Like, he is yeah. that good still. When he's putting, it, it's there's almost no one better, really. Like he, he puts sure. the lights out. He's not, this, he's not the longest guy, but he hits every fairway when he's feeling it. And he just he's a great ball striker, but he just needs to find that feel back. He's mentioned it so many times where he's like, I'm just looking for that... 2014 feel or 15 feel and it's like you're close man like it's there but i don't know we got masters we got masters coming up though too like there's don't forget there's two masters this year so like that that's kind of his like that's Dude, his wheelhouse too so. his his track record Could there is, is a joke i mean yeah. how good he's been around that place i feel like his putter gets to shine more there because the greens are so difficult that his advantage with the putter is even like magnified oh, there as opposed yeah. to other places he totally. is so good he's such a great lag putter he just right now and it's one of the hardest things in golf like sometimes you just need like a control alt delete in yeah. your brain right he's trying so many different things you see the pre-shot rehearsal like he's doing the mic weird the waggle you can just tell and he's standing over the ball a long time there's so much shit going on in his brain but it's one of the hard it's easy to say and hard to do as a golfer like just forget everything just yeah. go back to playing golf and like dude it <laughs> yeah, sounds right. simple but like <laughs> i've seen it eight million times when you start struggling at being the competitor that you are, you try to fix it and you start trying different things. And sometimes 
that can be counterproductive. So I think if, if Jordan, maybe it's a new set of eyes, maybe it's something, I don't know what it is. I don't think anybody does. It could be different for everybody, but if he can just kind of simplify everything, find a go-to shot, Hey, I'm going to hit a little bleeder fade, or I'm going to hit a little tight, whatever it is, even if it's not the prettiest thing in the world, get the ball and play. Cause from there, he can still compete. You just can't compete driving it not super long and crooked as well. You yeah, just can't shit, beat these guys yeah. like Rory's and DJ's and Brooks's that are just blasting it down, you know, 330 yeah. down the middle. Too I think 100%. he just needs to grow goatee or something, like shake it up. Yeah, right? maybe like, just take a different spin. Even like, I don't know if he can, dude. I don't know if he's got <laughs> that. Just yet. He's like got a little problem like me. Like it's, it only grows in certain areas. So I don't know if he if he could, if he could pull that off. I think the thing that he said that's amazed me the most, like not his game, but when he was talking about the Masters, when he was talking about Bryson on nine, and he's like, yeah, he can literally hit it like anywhere within a thousand yards, like yeah. his fairways, like. It's a thousand yards wide for him, and you're like, oh, so so Bryson's actually gonna destroy that entire golf course if he comes out with this 48 inch driver and he's hitting it well. He's gonna flip wedge into 13, 15. He can literally. He's coming from the other side on nine, probably. It's gonna oh, be he, insane. He can do whatever he wants. I mean, Jordan Spieth. I thought when, right when he said it during our podcast, I was like, that's a that's the headline of the yeah. show right there. He said Bryson has to lose the Masters to not win it, and that's coming yeah. from a guy that's won a green jacket. One multiple majors. Sure, I thought that three. was that exactly. That's not a guy that like you know some schmuck at the bar or whatever at your local club. This guy knows Augusta National as well as anyone, and he knows what it takes to win that place. And he's saying like at this point, Bryson needs to lose it. I I mean that's an unbelievable statement for him to make. I still think we're we're crowning Bryson a little too early. Like sure, totally. could he go absolutely decimate Augusta National? Sure, he he definitely could if he goes out there and drives it straight. And he's hitting it the way he's been hitting it, you know, lengthwise. This is the biggest spread golf course there is. There's no rough. All you got to do is keep it in between the tree lines. And we also forget with Bryson, like, he's an unbelievable putter. Jordan brought that oh, up on our podcast. He was like, dude, he yes. doesn't get enough credit for his putter. He didn't, even lead is, yeah. the, he didn't even lead the field at the U.S. Open, dude. Yeah. He was seventh in driving distance. Like, why are we giving all the attention to the driver? But he's second in scrambling, and nobody wants to talk about that. Exactly. Yeah. Second in scrambling. First on the – like, dude, he's incredible. And we're giving so much – we're putting so much emphasis on his length. There are other guys that could ship it out there with Bryson right now. Tony Fino, I think, could do it if he his even – playing partner if was he even one of them. tries to. Yeah, Matt Wolf. Matthew Wolf was blowing oh, it by him all day on Sunday. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he's – long but there are other long guys and they don't win every single tournament going away like mm -hmm. we're talking about bryson doing so i think we're crowning him a little bit early but yeah in theory bryson could go out there and do something weird to augusta national that, that we haven't seen done before i don't think he'll yeah he might get sick that weekend right if things start happening early on like a wednesday in the practice round they start seeing things he might have a little bit of x lax in his coffee the next morning right <laughs> you might be staying at dj's place and slip down the stairs yeah know? yeah a little stair there's some weird shit that happens around augusta boys Do you yeah, never, we don't know at this time of the year to. either there could be like dormant anthills coming to life or something i mean it might be <laughs> fested out there no yeah there could be a lot of lot of lot of shit can go on down there in the magnolias <laughs> so what, why don't we take it all the way back to, why don't you give us a little insight into your introduction to the game and, and talk us through what your relationship with golf has been like and your progression into the semi-professional ranks as it's noted in the interweb. Yeah, that by the way, that interweb or whatever that thing's called, the Wicked Tia yeah, or something like that. Funny. That's my little scumbag friend here in Scottsdale who doesn't have a job and has a lot of free times on his hand. <laughs> Thought it'd be fun to create some little bullshit Wikipedia or whatever it's called page for me. So, Good, man. Uh, Props out to your buddy for sure. Yeah, no, yeah. No. He's got a lot of free time, so I'm envious <laughs> of that. But yeah, my introduction to golf, man, I grew up in Colorado and I really played pretty much every sport you could play other than golf for a long time. Uh, I never, I was like a, especially by today's standards, I'd be late to the game you know what i mean you got kids now 
five, six years old. They got swing coaches and they're playing and stuff. I was not that. I played a lot of stuff. I did a lot of skiing growing up. Uh, I played basketball. That was kind of my first like real passion. I played basketball all the way through high school. But about at 11 years old, uh, my dad was a golfer and I used to just go up and tag along. I just wanted to drive the cart and run and Standard. hit driver as hard as I could and go chase it, right? That was my intro to the game. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what, what hit. It's just, you know, you hear people talking about it. Like I got the bug. And one summer uh, when I was 11 years old, man, all I wanted to do all day, every day was play golf. And I'd get up in the morning, get on my bike. I'd drive out to our golf course, spend the entire day there, drive home, get on my bike, come home at night in the dark, you know, ride home. And I would just rinse and repeat every single day going forward. And I just started falling in love with it. Then as I started to get a little bit better, a little bit better, started playing in tournaments, started to have a little, a little bit of success locally, won some things. Started going national, played some AJGAs, getting into that stuff, won an AJGA, um, went through went through high school. Starting like freshman year of high school, I think that's when I knew like this is what I want to do. That was actually the year Tiger won the Masters in 97, right? I was like, wow, th this is it. This is the dude. Like this is what mm -hmm. I want to do. And I committed like everything to it um, that I could, minus the winters where you can't really in Colorado, right? Yeah. Similar up there in Canada. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I committed to it fully. And that was always my – I was like, I'm going to college to play golf and I'm going to turn pro and that's what I'm going to do. So – Played all through high school, won the state high school championship uh, as a senior, had a good uh, summer the year prior, started shopping around a bunch of colleges, you know, got got some offers and things like that, narrowed it down and ended up going to TCU down in Fort Worth. Um, what, was your draw but, to T what was your draw to TCU? Yeah, that's a good question. TCU was not even a school that was on my radar whatsoever. I had a bunch of schools picked out. I was like, I was looking at, man, a, a bunch. Of, I really liked SMU, actually, at the time. And I was being recruited by SMU. And uh, out of nowhere, I played a golf tournament, actually, coincidentally, here in Phoenix, a big junior tournament, and uh, played really well. I was in the final group the last day with Kevin Na at the time, right? Never heard and, of him. And uh, so that attracts some attention. There's a lot of coaches out there. A TCU coach went out and walked around with me the whole day. I didn't even know what TCU was, right? I was actually the time LaDainian Tomlinson was doing his thing. So that's why I knew who TCU was. And uh, a week or two later, I get a letter from TCU asking me to come down and take a visit. And I'd already planned on making an SMU visit. So I was like, perfect. I'll just do them at the same time. Went down, looked at both schools. I'd already visited Vanderbilt. I was really high on Vanderbilt. I visited UCLA, the University of Arizona. Wasn't going to stay in state in Colorado just because of the weather, but had, you know, had offers at, at those schools, but a handful of other places. And the minute I got off of TCU's campus, I was like, that's it, dude. That's the one. I just loved it. I knew nothing about the place. I had very low expectations. But coming off that campus, looking at all their golf courses, I mean, it's literally a mile from Colonial, mm -hmm. all the different things. And it didn't hurt that at the time I was being recruited, they were a top five team in the United States. And I was like, this has got everything. You know, it's got the weather. It's got the school. It was great. A lot of good-looking girls oh, down in Texas. You know what I mean? Like it had everything, for everything sure. you could want. And um, I committed early in November of my senior year. I committed earlier verbally. But after my summer, I guess, going into my senior year, I shut it down and said, I'm going to TCU. Couldn't be happier. And uh, went down there. And I'd go back tomorrow if they'd have me, man. I, had, I, couldn't love, I couldn't say enough good things about the place. What part of Colorado – in was it denver that you were growing up in yeah yeah i'm just north of denver it's called fort collins so okay. it's like 60 miles north of denver it's where colorado state university is and then boulder's kind of in between fort collins and denver yeah. so spent a ton of time in denver tons of friends in denver uh, a lot of time and a lot of golf in, in denver but i grew up in fort collins which is just uh, a little bit north of that very cool i was actually born in thornton colorado so oh yeah a little there more you go, south dude. of that but one thing i want to know is yeah growing up in denver playing golf where you got the altitude when you went and moved around and like you kind of had to adjust back down to sea level what was that adjustment like as a golfer 
Yeah, it was definitely different as a young kid when I didn't really understand it, right? Like I would just, I just knew Colorado. That's the only place I played as a 12, 13, you know what I mean? I played local stuff, state stuff, things like that. Then I start traveling. I'm in tournaments in Florida and things like that. And it wasn't necessarily like the, the altitude adjustment came fairly quick, right? You play a couple of days, you hit some balls, you can kind of figure out, all right, I'm one club shorter down yeah. here, more or less, right? Dialing in the wedge is a little bit different, but you, you can adjust that pretty quickly. The thing that was the toughest for me was not the altitude, but it was like the, it was the grass type. The Bermuda. So in Colorado, I mean, dude, you're playing bent grass, you're playing rock, you know, mostly just bent pretty much everywhere you go. All of a sudden I'm going to tournaments in Florida, never stepped foot in the state of Florida before show up at a tournament, hit a ball into the rough. And I'm like, what in the, what the Why fuck is this? this? I've never seen that. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? This is <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, dude, it took me so long to learn how to chip and play different shots out of Bermuda grass, even from the time to college, dude, when I went from Colorado down to, to TCU, I'd played tournaments all over the country at that point. Right. But I remember my first semester, like calling my parents, like, how'd you do in the qualifier? I'm like, dude, I can't get up and down. If I miss a green, it's a bogey. Like, I don't know whether I'm going to with these lies looking. I don't know whether I'm going to chip at a yard. It's going to come out soft and go nowhere. And then occasionally I'll be like, oh, this will be one of those. And I hit a little harder and it goes 25 feet past the hole. I could not. I was like dying if I was missing a green. I was like, go in the bunker. Please go in the bunker because I at least know what it's going to do yeah. out of the sand. But I could not get adjusted to the chipping and even the putting, too. When you get some of those green the bermuda's changed a lot in the last handful of, there's some really really good bermuda surfaces but when you get that grainy sandy stuff like i think i'd have a putt that would be you know right center and that thing would break a cup you know mm -hmm. and i'd be like what in the and then you got to learn to read the grain so there's definitely some i feel like that stuff is like learning a language the earlier you start on it the easier it is to pick it up and i picked up on that bermuda stuff later and even to this day even when i got my web.com card we had finals in uh or um down in South Florida at PGA National, and it rotates every year between South Florida and California. I was like, please, God, give me the California year. And sure <laughs> yeah. enough, because I, I play those courses a million times, it's all overseeded rye. I mean, it couldn't be it's easier. Easy. It's like playing it's in easy. my backyard. Yeah. And instead, I go down to Florida. It's cold. It's windy. Bermuda. And I was like, oh, my God. I just, I've still to this day, I've never been good. And like those like super grainy kind of South Florida type golf courses, it's just completely different to me. I don't feel comfortable on it like I do in the Western United States. That was like the first time I ever went to the Caribbean playing in like playing in Bermuda. I'm like, I don't know what I'm, what I'm doing oh. here. I'm, we grew up on Poa greens here. Like yeah. everything, there's no grain. It's all rye rough. And you're like, oh, this is easy. Like maybe it's you the get same a every time somewhere. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> this is the exact same shit. And then you get on Bermuda and you're like, Dude, I, I don't know why it's nesting. I don't know why it's not getting up to the hole when it's downhill. Like, I don't understand grain. Like, it took so long to figure that shit out. And you're like, oh, it's totally oh. different. I mean, I'd hit an uphill into the grain putt and be like, oh my God, these are the slowest greens. And the next hole, I'd have a downhill down grainer. And I'd be like, oh my God, this is fucking Augusta <laughs> National. You know what I mean? I just had no feel on this stuff. And it took me a long time. And I never, I would never say I, I got better at it, but I never got like good at it to where like some of these guys that I went down to school with who grew up in Texas, they were like, no, dude, you got to do this out of these lies. Or, you know, you need, this one's going to come out that I really got like a crash course and all that stuff when I went down there yeah but it's totally different ball game exactly so what was your team like at tcu then or did you play with anyone big in that team or was it kind of you being the star of tcu no i definitely wasn't the star dude when i showed up down there i was a nothing we were a top three top five team in the united states and for my first two years we stayed there and it was more like me trying to make the lineup and then um really? after my after my yeah i mean we had a kid we had a walker cupper on our team he was a stud his name was adam adam rubinson he was a fifth-year guy, one of the guys pegged to win the U.S. Amateur. He ended up losing, like, the quarterfinals to Casey Wittenberg back when Casey oh, really? Wittenberg was Casey, dominating yeah. everything, right? That was the dude. 
We had another couple kids. I think we had like three All-Americans. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we got a transfer in from Baylor who came in and was an absolute stud. And we just had a stacked squad for my first couple of years. I was literally trying to grab onto like a five spot for my first no year for sure. Maybe four or five my second year. Then a few of those guys graduated. One of them turned pro early. And we still had a really good team. But we dropped to like from a top five type of a team in the country to like a top 20 top 15 type of team right we got a lot younger i became like as a junior the older guy on the team and we had some good freshmen and maybe some kids my age too and we were still competitive but we weren't like we were you know my first my first couple of years we were winning lots of tournaments we were like i said top five in the rankings all that type of stuff everywhere we went we felt like we could win we got to we got to number one in the country at one point when we went out we won georgia tech's event in the first event of the year so we were really really good and then after the first two years we lost a few of those guys graduated got a little bit younger and it was more like yeah we're a good team but we're not like the elite type of guy you know what i mean we're not showing up like people aren't scared of us like like maybe in the first couple of years where mm-hmm. we, we expected to win every time we showed up more or less yeah exactly what was it like after so you left TCU to go play Cantor or did you did you finish out school and yeah. then move on or Yeah, I, I finished out school, graduated in 07, stayed amateur all that summer cuz I wanted another crack at the US amateur. Got to the US amateur at um Olympic Club where my partner and all the radio nice. podcast stuff Colt knows, he ended up winning that year. Uh I had a really good first day. We, it was a really weird deal, fog delay. I didn't tee off till 6 p.m. the first day. I was playing with Billy Horschel. We didn't tee off till 6 p.m. We played four holes. And then the next day we had to play 32. And I closed out my first round in like 71. Dude, I was in like 15th play. I had no stress in getting to match play. And we turn, we make the turn, and I proceed to three putt all across the lakes course at Olympic Club. End up missing a match play by one. But that was kind of why I stayed stayed amateur. I wanted one more shot at that. It didn't work out the way I wanted. Then I turned pro in 08. And uh, started playing the Gateway Tour here in Scottsdale, yeah. Phoenix, right? That was kind of the big tour at the time on the West Coast. Good purses, good players, uh, things like that. And then through that tour, I developed some friends, a couple of whom are from Canada who we'll get into. Um, and they were like, yo, you should you should try to play. They'd play, they're like a year or two older than me. And they're like, oh, well, we go up to Canada in the summer. You should try to qualify for that tour. So I was like, okay. I had no idea. I was just kind of going, you know, learning yeah, as I go. Do it. And uh, went out went out to Canadian tour school, I believe in California is where I did it don't that t- year. Don't tell me it was Carlton Oaks. I believe uh, is that the one in Santee, California? Yeah, the yeah, worst I golf be- course on the that planet. That was that is exactly. <laughs> I've been to Q school was. there. It was brutal. okay. Yeah, so yeah, that's where I God. that's where I did it. It's a hard golf course, by the way. Um, it's they, had, terrible, they had Q man. school there, like first stage, a handful of years later. Went out to Carlton Oaks, got my. Um, Got my Canadian tour card. And that was the back in the days when they used to start the season in Mexico. Right. Yeah. We had like Mazatlan. Shit. I can't even remember the other yeah. other ones. But Three I started my year off. All of a sudden, here I was hopping on a plane to like central. There was one place we played with like literally no English. Crazy. Just in the, you know, like middle of cartel territory. And we were Col- going down yeah. there. With yeah, the exactly. Golf hey, guys, golf bag, bring back. <laughs> like Chapo's cousin was like my caddy, probably. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I went and played down there. And then, then we went up to Canada. I had an absolute blast. Great group of dudes that I traveled with. And, um, you know, would go to Q school at the end of the year after playing Canada and stuff. But, like, really, Canada is the place that taught me how to travel, how to, you know, four-day events versus, like, three days on the – it's run exactly like all the major tours that you see mm. just for – you know, not as much money, but that really is the kind of place that taught me this is what pro golf like looks like. And the competition was incredible. A bunch of those guys ended up, you know, making their way onto the PGA Tour and, and having hey, success. It's right produced now. guys like Mike Weir, VJ Singh. Like there's been a lot of dudes that have come through Cantor. I mean, it doesn't get the 
the love and attention. And obviously, like you said, it doesn't get the purse poundage, but I mean, it's, it's a fun developmental tour for sure. You learn a lot playing that thing. And I said for a while, I was like, there's not a harder dollar to be made than in Canada. Like it is the caliber of golf is really, really good. And I know it's gotten a lot better now the McKinsey tour and there's more money. Now you can get on the web.com or the corn Ferry tour yeah. via that tour. At my time when I was playing, or at least until my last year, that wasn't on the table. But I was like, this competition is really, really good. And you could make the cut and lose money easily on the week, right? Oh, yeah. um, but it, it made you get better. And you just learn to play four days versus three or like a Monday qualifier things. It just kind of teaches you how to play. That's why I think you see so many guys that, that have success on that tour go on to Translates have continued well. success and on other tours. Yeah, we used to call it the McDonald's tour because if you didn't win, that's all you could afford to eat for the next two dude, weeks. Dude, I, I ate McDonald's. more Timmy Hortons, dude, than I can even care to remember. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? I mean, it was every single day, bro. Drive through Timmy's <laughs> straight to the track. That's nice. the thing with the Canadian tour as well. Like, I mean, if you think about the Corn Ferry, you can go down and play in the Caribbean or even southern states. You can do it kind of relatively cheap. Canada's not that cheap, especially if you're going from spot to spot. Like, you would have to keep it very slim. Like, and the schedule is always messed up, too. Like, they'd have one event in Toronto, then no, Calgary the next coast. two weeks. And, like, oh, fuck. The, it was yeah, dude. The, the money, you got to stretch it. And that's why, I like, that little, I was lucky that I had a good crew that I traveled with because we were sleeping. Dude, I can distinctly remember we'd have three to a room, right? We'd put, all right, you're in the morning wave. All right, this is this hotel room. You're in the afternoon wave. All right, that's y'all's room over there. All right, high score <laughs> sleeps on the floor. We're going to get a bunch of blankets and pillows and shit. High scores in the middle between the beds. That's yeah. the deal, right? And, like, that was what it was. And we'd be price lining $100 a night hotels and putting three guys in there. So we'd spend 33 bucks a night. Mm -hmm. It's just that's the way it was, dude. You had to stretch the dollar out there because, like I said, you could play some pretty decent golf and come off that tour at the end of the year at a net loss. And it's like you got to go raise some more money or do whatever you do to, to keep going. Yeah. Back down to the cartel and bring some stuff. That's up. right. Go see yeah, Chapo, yeah. grab a few bricks, and then get back on tour. And we're back in go. Canada making a lot more money now. Back to Q school. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Love that. Love well, that. I mean, there's enough guys in that tour on that time. Like, I mean, we mentioned off-air uh, Abe Answers caddy, Dale Lilly. I mean, yes. the fact that that guy even, I don't know, it amazes me still to this day that he actually could play a tour. And the guy is just wild. Him and his brother were like the names in Canada for a while. They were the up and coming, like, don't fuck with these guys. They're going to ruin you <laughs> on the golf course. If you look at our podcast numbers, he's still the man. Yeah, yeah he is the man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah dude. He's a, he's a legend. He probably moves the needle up there like nobody he does. else. He does. He does. Anytime yeah. Abe Answers. Needle. Yeah, anytime Abe Answers in it, you are, we're getting so many pings on Dale Valelli searches. It's not even <laughs> Yeah, funny. no one cares about Abe, but yeah, oh, did you see Dale? What <laughs> a number, looks like what a number he just gave. He's yeah. a weapon, man. He is a weapon. Classic. He Dale. is. And he, he's making a nice little, yeah, he's got a good boss right now, dude. Oh, That's a, There's money absolutely. to be made on yeah. that bag. Amen. For sure. So you you left Cantour to web.com, you transitioned, and then what happened? Dude, so yeah, I uh, I played Cantour on and off. There were years where I would play the full season. There were years where I'd play a few and then come down and play Monday qualifiers. But the traveling back, all right, I missed that on Monday. Do I want to go back, fly up, across the border, go through all the shit? Maybe one practice round, maybe whatever. You know, it just got to be too much. And so then finally I got through Q School, got to finals, played terrible at finals. I had conditional status. So all I really needed to do was just get in an event, make some money, and I could Go reshuffle play. and get in all the starts. So when that year came, I just said, screw it. I'm not going to Canada. I am playing every Monday I can get into. I'm going to get my starts when I get my starts, and I'm going to just go full bore on this because I'm I've done Canada. You know what I mean? I've done it four or five years. I don't want to like I don't want to experience. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to like 
hover. Yeah, you know, I, I want to move forward. This is the way to do it. So I'm just going to commit to this. And then uh, bottom line, man, after a year of playing all the Mondays, getting in some, when I did get in, you're like, oh my God, this is my chance. I got to make the cut. I need to finish top 25. I got to get in the next week. They just put so much pressure on yourself every time you get a start that it's really hard to play well. Um, and that's not an ideal scenario for anybody to go out. It'd be so nice if you knew like, I got the next four. It's kind of like, Yo, I can kick back and just let – I know I'm going to play some good golf. I don't got to press it. But when you get one week, you're like, yo, got to make birdie. And you're in this Monday qualifying mindset too where you're like, yeah. I got to shoot blood. six. If I par a par five, I'm going to fucking blow my I'm brains done. out because yeah, I know somebody just made eagle and there's only four <laughs> spots in this bitch. You know what I mean? So, like, it's a little bit different. And anyways, when I did get the starts, I didn't play well enough. When I did Monday in, I didn't play well enough. I was shooting 68s and going home. I was shooting 66, losing, losing and qualifying, you know, five for one. Yeah, oh, how'd sucks. you play? Great. I shot a bogey free 66 and I'm going home. I'm on the next flight home. And it just honestly, so I put like a hard stop on myself. I was like, if I hit 30 and I don't have a tour card, I'm out. And I, I have spent so many years playing mini tours, Canada, web.com. And you'd see these guys that were 37, 38, hanging on to some sort of conditional status. And I'm like, I will never be that guy. I will never be the dude that just constantly has that little carrot dangled in front of him and be like, I could still do it. There's still a chance. Because in my opinion, if you you get to that age and you haven't done it, you ain't going to do it. Maybe you get up there and you have a cup of coffee, but you're never making a career. At, you know, making the kind of money you need to make to like retire. And next thing you know, you're going to pop up at 40 and be like, I've never had a job and I got no money. Like, what the hell are Car you going to do then? Yeah, I'm yeah broke exactly. Car so dude, I, I hit 30. <laughs> that was right around the time Spieth was trying to win the, the Grand Slam in a single year at age like whatever the hell he was, 22. 22. Right. And I'm like, maybe this kid that's eight years older or younger than I am, who's already trying to win a career Grand Slam. And I'm just trying to get a card and have a taste of the BJ Tour. <laughs> Maybe the ship is still. So I just put a hard stop on myself. I was like, dude, you give it seven years and you don't do it. Cool. I had my chances. I had situations where if I could have one round over, one swing, a couple holes over, like maybe things pan out different. But like it didn't. And I'm, I was cool with it. But I was never going to be like the hanger on that just hung out, play mini tours, trying to keep fighting. And meanwhile, you're looking at this guy as a young kid. Like, what is this old dude doing here? He's, he's, <laughs> give it up. bro. Like It didn't happen. Bar. I didn't, I didn't never want it to be that guy. Cause I got friends that are that guy, you know, that were that guy. And uh, I didn't want to be it. So I just said, boom, 30. I didn't do it. I had a run. I had my chances. I did pretty good, but uh, it didn't work out the way I wanted to see you later. And, and, that was and now you enjoy golf. I'm sure more than these guys probably oh, hate their lives. The first year, I, uh, the first, like right after I quit, I stopped practicing, stopped doing it, but I still go out and play with my buddies. Obviously I played more good golf. Like yeah. for my first, after I quit going to teachers and taking lessons and trying yeah, hard, free, man. And I started having some drinks on the course for the first time <laughs> and I was shooting 63s and people are like, dude, what the hell? I was like, nah, dude, this is, listen, if I had, like, if this was meant to be, it would have been, I'm not yeah. ever going to like reconsider. You, you just got to direct them to your Wikipedia page and be like, man, that title's still there. Mini tour legend. All right. <laughs> That's like, right. That will dude. never That's die. Right. That is funny though, that like, yeah, you go out and shoot 63 and everyone's like, no man, I think you need to reconsider this. <laughs> They're like, like dude. What are you doing? You should be playing. I was like, I did it for seven (laughs) years, bro. It's a little different, you know, playing for real than driving around in carts, listening to music, having a couple pops. Yeah, crushing vodka on the mini tour, kind of frowned upon. Uh, yeah, maybe it, it can well, be done. Some people. It can be done, and Coke it is can. done, but Coke not can. exactly. Uh, yeah, encouraged. I would yeah. say so. I, yeah, I just said hard stop. Bam, I'm out. Let's go find something else to do. Exactly. Nice. And then you found. Yeah, you leveraged your career in golf pretty well to find yourself now doing what you're doing, which probably looking back has to be crazy to just yeah playing golf hard stop at 30 and now take us into what happened next 
Yeah, man. So actually, literally, I can remember it distinctly. The day I decided to quit, I think it was like my last Monday qualifier or something like that. I'd missed again. A, a guy I've become very, very, very close with out here, Gary McCord, right? He's a member mm -hmm. of the same club. He's a weird dude. We have a great time together. I love He's the man. He's really smart. He, although he likes to hide it and be like the jester. He's incredibly there's a lot intelligent. Of there's a lot oh. of depth to Gary McCord. Don't Next let him level. fool you with his bullshit. Like, hey, I'm the goofy, weird guy. Yeah, like, he is that guy, but he's also incredibly smart. And uh, so I called, I called McCord up. I was like, yo, I'm fucking done. I'm out. Like, that's it. I just played my last round of competitive golf. He's like, all right, come see me tomorrow. Meet me up at Whisper Rock. We're going to have a few drinks. We're going to talk about it. I was like, done. Okay, cool. Get home. Fly home. Don't even unpack my bags. Leave all my shit. I'm done. I drive up there the next day, and he's like, here's the deal, dude. I've been around this business a long time. I think you got what it takes if you want to do it. I think you'd be a guy that's good in front of the microphone. And uh, the last guy that I sent to CBS or whatever was David Faraday. He's like, trust me. I don't know if this is even on your radar, but here's what I want to do. He's like, I've talked to Sirius XM. I want to do a radio show with you. And we're going to start off. It'll be one day a week. It's nothing special, but I've already got it all, you know, in play. The wheels, the, the, the wheels are turning. And uh, would you want to do that? And I was like, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, Gary McCord is a guy I like to look up to. You know How do you say no to that? I was like, dude, this is the best thing ever. I should have quit two years ago. You <laughs> exactly. know what I mean? Fuck like, well. what the fuck am I doing hanging out? <laughs> Where was this phone cuts? call four years like, ago, man? Well, it was <laughs> him yeah, I would have quit, dude. Why didn't you tell me this? Yeah. If you had this like incubating, why didn't you tell me this two years ago? You know what I mean? So I was like, yes, a hundred percent. So he's like, boom, done. I'll get it all done. Let's start meeting up. Let's start brainstorming the show. Let's kind of figure out some concepts and things like that. Done. Cool. We get really close to the date where we're supposed to have our first show. And long story short, basically at the time when McCord was with CBS, they kind of control the rights to what Gary can and can't do in terms of media, right? They put the kibosh on the show for Gary at that point. And he no called way. me. He's like, dude, bad news. I'm not allowed to do this show. Let's put a let's put a rain check on this. Let's check back in like two years, you know, when my deal's up and we'll, we'll see what we can do then. Or maybe I can push this thing along the way. And I was like, okay. I was devastated. But I was like, all right, well, now that leaves me with nothing, exactly nothing. Yeah. Like, what do I do? So now I start picking up the phone, calling all the people, hey, what should I do? I mean, I had no idea whatsoever. So I did like a, a few different things that, that were completely bad fit. I got into wealth management, private wealth management for a while. I mean, here I am, my nickname is Sleaze, right? That's why, yeah. that's, why, that's why everyone knows me as Sleaze. And I'm like, why don't I get into asset management? That's what people want to do. Hey, who's your money guy? Oh, it's my guy Sleaze. He's the guy over there with the two box <laughs> yeah. socks on and a, and a mouthful of Copenhagen. That's the that's the money guy that you want. Stack but, of cash rolling out of his bag. Yeah, I'm an <laughs> idiot. That's the guy you want to give all your money to. So anyways. Not a bad play if you're starting an import-export business. Yeah, he's got the Chapo cousin. I should have called Chapo. Is what I should have done. I could have got. I could have been a nice little middleman there, brokered some deals. But I got yeah. into that world. I went through all the shit. I got my Series 7, Series 66, like four months of wow. testing. Wow. I'm in a suit and tie in a cubicle doing this stuff. And I'm like, what am I doing? I had I was like, this doesn't seem to fit, but I'm going to, I've already committed to this and I'm, I'm in it and I got my license. I did all that stuff. I'm like, I'm going to give this a legitimate shot. All right. Well, fast forward a year, year and a half later. I was like, I hate this. I do not like talking to people about their money, whoever they have. They already got a guy. They're committed to that guy. That's a pretty serious relationship. It's not something that you just up and, Oh, there's my buddy sleeves. who I play golf with, let me give all his money. So I quit that. I fucking hated it looking back on that. Uh, and then I was starting over again. Right. And I was like, now what? So I did that for a year and a half, got into a couple different things, one of which I'm still involved with right now on the side from uh, uh, all this media stuff. But um, an opportunity came along <coughs> when my, my partner Colt Nost was uh, still playing golf. 
But I think he he was fighting some injuries, playing on a medical and all that. And he was like, dude, uh, I don't know how long I'll be doing this. I'm kind of looking towards the next thing. Uh, would you want to like, would you be interested in like a serious sex? I was like, serious sex show. And I was like, uh, yeah, dude, like four years ago, I had this deal inked with McCord and it fell through. And that was like the one thing I wanted to do more than anything. So anyways, that, that got going. We got a show one hour, one day a week on Sirius XM, pretty much like a trial run. Like yeah. here's, here's one hour, dude. It's not a lot, right? Don't fuck Let's it up. Let's see if this thing's <laughs> exactly. Let's see if this thing sinks or swims. So when you got one hour a week, if you can't fucking have a great show in one hour a week, you, you stink. So we, we, we started doing that. Our first episode, we, we went on air first time at the Masters, Masters Week. We had Jordan Spieth on. We had like a 45-minute interview with Jordan Spieth that was great because he doesn't do those types of interviews. We went for it every single week. We started doing like longer-form interviews because we only had one hour, and we were getting great interviews with guys because we know all these guys, right? Colt played on you tour know, for a long time. He knows exactly. everybody. I grew up – I played this game for a long time. All my buddies are like on – you know, bottom of them are on tour and guys that I've played with around here. So we started getting these long-form interview uh, shows. Sirius XM liked it at the end of the year. They're like, yo, we want you guys to go to a daily show for two hours a day. And that's when it became like real uh -oh. at that point. This right. Is a job now. And then I was like, <laughs> yeah, now this is a job. That's a little bit more <laughs> yeah. shit. You know, that's a little bit more work. So we, we started doing that at the beginning of this year. Uh, now we've, we've renewed uh, going forward and, and around Congrats, that same bro. time. Thank that's you awesome. so much, man. Yeah, from, around that same time is when golf.com came to us and we're like, yo, we're trying to get into the digital space. We're golf magazine. Like people aren't reading magazines and stuff anymore. We want to get more heavy in the digital world. Would you want to do a podcast? And I was like, yeah, I do want to do a podcast. That'd be awesome. And I want it long form interviews in person with these guys where we get them to like open up, hopefully. And get some cool stories and just kind of learn who these players are that we watch mm -hmm, on right. tv every get single get the backstory week. Yeah, yeah we launched that real. at the beginning of this year i think it was around february of this year and we've been lucky just with relationships that you know we came out the gates with like john rom and gary woodland yeah, were like you our first two shows right like i mean and it started slowly 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 uh, like no one knew who we were we had john rom first episode but it doesn't matter if nobody knows about the show right and then as it kind of has gained momentum, people find it. They go back and listen to some old shows and things like yeah. that. And now I feel like for the first time, it's really taken off. Like we've been in the top 25, I think, of sports podcasts for the last month or so. And um, I mean, we're starting to get messages from tour guys that we don't even know. Like, yo, man, I'd love to come on your show. Can I do it? And like, so it's really been cool to see like that progression. It's happened faster than we thought, but hopefully it's fun. We try to keep it light, try to get funny, entertaining stories, but also get some of the like real golf stuff that you yeah, know pull some nuggets out of them yeah right like let's get some of that wisdom or just something that people can like hey i didn't know that before listening yeah i mean the, the coolest thing for me is like when we have a guy on i'm trying to think of one uh well let's just use brandel chambly there's a good uh, there's Great a good one. example right a lot of guys have opinions on brandel chambly you can love him you can hate him the guy's super well researched he knows the game arguably more than anybody that i've ever been around oh yeah but he's not afraid to stir the pot and say some things that aren't going to be that are going to be unpopular right we had him on. We got into a lot. We got some personal stories, some funny stories. We dug into golf, Tiger. You know, he, he takes some shots at Tiger, people feel like sometimes. But the cool thing for me is, and I'm just using him as an example. There are others as well. When we get a guy on that may not be the most famous guy in the world that people don't really know other than seeing him on TV, and they'll write something like, man, I used to not like that guy at all until I saw y'all show. Now I'm a huge fan. I'll be rooting for him every single week going forward. Now I love Brandel. I used to not, I used to can't stand him. 
now I love that guy. Like that's the cool thing for me. We just want to show like the the human side of these guys versus like the the little robots that you see on the post round interviews on the. Golf that's the that's the problem though with media. It's so scripted and so like okay, ask him this and then ask him his favorite color and then okay, don't yeah. ask him anything else. And it's like, how do you get to know anybody like that? You it's don't. It's the same shit. And these guys, that's why they give robotic answers is because the questions are same robotic. Same like, What did you think about today? You shot sixty six. So it was on. Yeah, uh, just well, taking uh, it. I just wanted to stay in the moment. I took it one shot at a time. Got some good numbers. Uh, had had some good reads from my cat. It's like, dude, you don't learn shit. You might, as, I mean, you might as well not interview the dude. You know, yeah, exactly. like, what are you Thanks, getting? Good from plan. That? So yeah. we try to stay away from like the generic stuff. Granted, if there's like a pressing topic or a hot topic, like we're gonna ask about it. We're gonna get that stuff that people want to hear. But we try to be like, yo, tell me the story about the time you're on the mini tours and you know, like what stuff people don't know. Yeah, that's kind of got what arrested and dropped at the first tee yeah, five minutes he, before tee off. Let's get new, into that. New information or laughing. That's the the two ways I judge our shows. Love it. And the dynamic that you guys have created, like it's it's not just like a normal radio show or a normal interview. It's like, okay, you have Colt that played on tour. You've you've been on the mini tours and it's like you're having them live. You're doing them in person in person. You're having a couple drinks. It's not the same. You create a little bit more of a different atmosphere, a different environment, and it brings a lot more out in these guys. Like, I mean, I'll use Pat Perez, for example. Like that was by far one of my favorite interviews you guys did because yeah, he's probably like that every day anyways, but he wouldn't be like that to anyone else the, the way he was with you guys. And it's like, that's so good to listen to. It's something that you actually can get engaged into because you're like, oh, this isn't just a stock interview. I've seen like, I like have my before. ten. <laughs> I'm sure you have. It's like Howard Stern. That's what he was famous for is like helping break down walls with people so they actually reveal who they are. Yeah. And this almost, I almost need to rewind back to Tony Romo because like, if you were to listen to some of our other podcasts, and this is me ruffling some feathers here, um, not particularly fond of him playing on all the tour events, but mm-hmm. I've had some comments. Yeah. We've had some comments, yeah. but like, sure. yeah. So sick. this is where I guess just hearing you even talk for a, a few take. minutes like at the this. very beginning uh-huh. of this is like slowly breaking down that wall of like, okay, this guy's clearly super passionate about golf, and like, who the hell am I to say? Who am I to say as a fan that like Tony Romo, if he's got game, he can't go play on these events. If I gained like, respect today from yeah. listening to that. Me too. I was like, oh, you it, you play eight, you practice eight hours a day. Yeah, I'm like, brings yeah, okay, money, I man. Like that. It brings it money. It's a joke. It's a joke how like his commitment level level to the game. But you're absolutely right. Like you see him get these sponsors exemptions and things like that, and you got people on on two sides of the fence on that argument. Like, should Tony be taking a spot? Some people, you know, like will say no. That should go to the next guy in line. But at the same time, it's like. Well, that's a sponsor's exemption. They're putting up the purse. They can decide who the fuck moves the needle Amen. for their tournament more. Who's yeah. going to get them more attention? Tony and Romo clearly, or the or the yeah. first guy out on the you know on the corn ferry uh, on the on the in their category, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, there's different arguments for that. The one thing, and I've said this to Tony too, that I, I have zero issue with these. And, and take Tony out of the equation. Any of these celebrities, which is becoming more popular, right? They're bringing in Jake Owen. They're bringing in Steph Curry, guys like this, right? For their lo- Mark Mulder has played in Napa right? He's not a golfer. They are, they can give that to whoever they want. That is their prerogative. It's a sponsor's exemption. It's not taking a spot. No one is being kicked out of the field on the Corn Ferry Tour no. because they're giving yeah. a spot to Mark Mulder yeah. or Steph Curry, right? That's my argument. But, and I told this to Tony too, he took one recently in Missouri, right? And showed up with a bum wrist a little bit and withdrew after like eight holes or whatever it was. And I was like, dude, you can't take, you can't take these exemptions unless you're going to play. I don't care if your wrist is broken, 
you play 36 and take your missed cut and you go down the road, but you cannot go in. These spots are so coveted. I was one of those guys looking for those spots. Right, I was right. writing letters to people. I need right. an exemption. I know how valuable those are for guys to like literally dying, starving for a yeah. start in some of these tournaments. So if you get it, I got no issue with the tournament whatsoever, giving that to you, but play the freaking whole thing. Yeah, play man. it out. You can't yeah. go take it and then bail, but oh, I'm playing like shit or, oh, my wrist hurts, my back hurts. I got to bail. That's that's a bad look. While you're you sleeping sleep. in the middle of two beds because you shot the high score, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're sleeping yeah. under the bed for that shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. And you got to take yourself back from it as well. Like You don't want to like make a huge case for one spot, one individual, when that celebrity could come in bring in a lot more people in through the gates and that's providing money to the charity and whatever else. So like, and the you kind of have to look man. at, yeah. And the community, you got to look at it that way, which is sure. a way that I've definitely, yeah, it's not still a business at, before, at the but... end of the day, these sponsors that are putting the money up, they want some bang for their buck and it's yeah. going to, they're going to get more bang with a Tony Romo, a Mark Mulder, totally. a Steph Curry. than they're going to get with drew Stoltz, the guy writing a letter because he hasn't gotten Jeez. a start on the web.com money. I take that back. I would move the needle in a lot of markets <laughs> in the United States. I there should you take go. that back. Take me out of the equation. People are clamoring to see the sleeves. <laughs> they want your money management. They want to see that, that patented 74 I had on Thursday <laughs> afternoons. That was my go-to as a money man. I'd like to know your take on the sustainability of everything without fans from a financial aspect for the PGA tour. Yeah, they're definitely taking a hit right now. It's tough. I mean, those bodies through the gates, all the merchandise, all the all the concessions, all the things like that. I mean, these guys are taking huge hits right now. So I don't know how the money's working with the sponsors. Like, hey, we're Quicken Loans and we're sponsoring this event. Like, oh, by the way, we're not going to have any fans there. I, I don't know how all that works, but like hopefully – God willing. And I know there's going to be fans back here in Houston soon. Very yeah, small. Yeah. It's going to be baby steps getting back to like norm normality, Absolutely. right? Yeah. It's not going to be like a, all of a sudden, bam, we're having a bam, full, full admittance. Everybody can get in that wants to get in. It's not going to happen like that. Even the Phoenix Open here in Scottsdale, like, dude, they're lobbying already to try to get 15,000 people in the door each day, uh, which is going to be a push, right? But I mean, dude, that's like one box on the 16th hole compared to what they normally have yeah. right yeah. but it's going to be it's going to take some doing but hopefully hopefully this is a short-term deal that as this year ends and we wind into next year and we we kind of know what's going on and god willing there's a vaccine or something like that that comes out hopefully we start to get back a little bit more uh to normal because it sucks for the fans and i know it sucks for the players just talking to them i mean there's so much energy provided by those fans out there both good and bad yeah um that uh it, it changes the dynamic of the tournament 100 do you think the pga tour would possibly like because i mean some states are different like florida is completely open so do you mm -hmm. think the PGA Tour would just be like, you know what? We'll just go by state laws. Like, if yeah, Arizona's I, think, I open, think absolutely. Florida's I open. think absolutely they go by state laws. Like California, I think, is already through next, like some of the West Coast swing. You know, it starts out on the West Coast. I mm -hmm. think they've already said, like, no fans. No, and sure. that's why Phoenix Open is pushing for more because Phoenix is a little more liberal mm -hmm. with this stuff in terms of COVID, right? Then you get to Florida and, like, they're arguing, like, you know, Dan Mullen, the coach of the University of Florida football team, was like, yo, I want to see the swamp packed. They just passed a law. They just passed a law that we can get as many people as we want. I want to see 80,000 in the swamp. You know what I mean? Meanwhile, you go up to New York and they're like, don't even leave your house. Like yeah. it's different in every single state. So I think you'll absolutely see the tour adapt to the different states and what the laws are. And if they, if that state is open to having fans then they'll take advantage of that. And if not, then they're, then their, their hands are tied. Definitely. Speaking of the waste management, uh, listening to your podcast with Chris, Como, I think that you made an announcement that you're a Thunderbird. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, Tell thank you. I just got, just got uh, invited to be a Thunderbird about 
two weeks ago now. So it's still pretty fresh, but I, I don't know how familiar people are with it in Canada. It's like a, it's a pretty big deal here in, in the Phoenix area. So the Thunderbirds are like the Huge. group that they're the ones that started the Phoenix open. They are what turned it into the biggest party on the PGA tour. They run that entire event from the entertainment to they get a sponsor's exemption that they give out every year. I mean, they make the 16 being the first enclosed hole on the PGA tour. And like, they keep pushing it further and further every single year. They're the guys behind all of it, but they're also like the biggest philanthropic group. Uh, in the state, arguably in the United States, I think they do, they they give millions and millions and millions of dollars to like youth sports. Um, like they work hard with the Special Olympics. It's all sports oriented, but they do so much to help like you know nonprofits in the sports world get access to money and financing and things that can change people's lives. So it's a really big deal down here um, to be a part of that group, and it, it's that man. group Good that makes you. that tournament go. So yeah, I'm I, I'm completely honored. To be a part of that group and i know this year will be different but hopefully years going forward we can continue to press this thing and and, and hopefully continue to make it one of the marquee you know non-major events on the pga oh, tour it will be forever for sure it's a beast we're going to jump into a little segment we like to call the rapid fire 10 we're going to get to know our man drew a little bit better here. we're it. actually going to switch it up a little bit we're going to do the rapid fire 11 today Ooh. just because we do it different in canada got a little bonus I got ball a i love it here. all right this is your breakfast ball so no hey. 74 on thursday we'll give you mm -hmm. a chance here question <laughs> one eight to make the cut yeah <laughs> there you go what's in the bag drew what's in the bag all right starting at the top i got a tailor-made sim driver which is fairly new and i love it it's unbelievable been a game changer love is that, that a housey hookup or a trotty hookup or that was actually a uh, a true spec hookup shout out to Ooh. true spec for that yeah. they're a big like club fitting company here in the states kind of like a you know like nice. a lot of the ones that go around but they do a good job they take great care of us so just got a tailor-made sim in the bag there that thing's been a game changer i got an old school three wood when i was playing professional golf i was with ping I was a ping guy all through college as well. I got an old G30 ping. It's like the only three wood I've ever had in my life that I've been able to hit both off the ground and off the tee and hit it well. I feel like that's one of the hardest clubs to fit in your Everybody bag. Everybody has that story, dude. Dude, Everybody. I need that three wood. Like I it's a it. problem. Yeah, it's everybody. a problem if that thing if that thing breaks <laughs> or cracks, which it probably will. I have the uh, G20 three wood. I'll never get rid of it. It's the three was the hardest club. You either find one that you can smash off the tee and you hit these knuckleball <laughs> heaters that go a mile, or you find one that you can hit off the ground, but off the tee, it's this spinny piece Same of shit. Same as mine, yeah, It man, is so hard to find the middle ground where you can do both. So I finally <laughs> got that club. So I got an old ping G33 wood from hybrid through all my irons and wedges. I'm PXG. So I have PXG Gen 1s. Uh, the old school gen ones, the first ones they made. I was a PXG ambassador for a couple years, so luckily True. I was able to not nice. have to pay, which otherwise those would definitely would not be in the bag. In the, house. the wedges, <laughs> yeah, those forged wedges are incredible. Love all their clubs that are made out of metal. Not a big fan of their woods. I think I've never had any success with those. And then the marquee club, the crown jewel, is my putter, which Money is an maker. old, old ping wolverine the big mallet center shafted i nicknamed it the museum because that's where it's going when i die <laughs> yeah. and it's made more feet of putts than arguably any putter other than jordan speed's putter it is i will never let that if everything wow. i need like yeah that's the one club that matters to me i can replace the all the other on a shit, stick but i need that is the wolverine the one that looks like a banquet dish with a stick yeah dude it? it's gnarly yeah. it's got the little fangs kind of at wow. the back and it's got the white yeah. the white part it's an ugly looking putter there's only one guy that puts with it on the pga tour that's nate lashley 
Nate and I, he was a, he's a ping guy. We always have like had comparable, but we would trade putters back and forth That's and things funny. like that. Cause we like the same stuff, but he putts with it, but uh, there's not a lot of dudes rolling. It is old as dirt. This is the same grip. The grip is like rotting off of the <laughs> shaft, but I just won't change it because I love it. Just the to rewhip the shaft. down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. What, what kind of ball are we playing? I play uh, shit, whatever's free now, dude. When I retired, <laughs> when I retired from golf, dude, I probably had no bullshit like 50 dozen at least. I couldn't get rid of balls fast enough when I was playing. I was like, hey, you need a dozen, you need a dozen. Like it just stacks up because every tournament you go to, you go to web.com, here's three dozen. You go to a tour event, here's four dozen. You hmm. go to whatever, here's two dozen. Dude, you just get so many. And Titleist would send the shipments like every month or two months where i had more golf balls so i had a huge stash when i quit golf that i've gradually just like depleted 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 now more or less i just go to my tour friends i'm like yo i need give me four dozen but they're like cool perfect yeah get some of these out of my garage i got yeah, a million yeah, sitting in there kidding. so i pretty much stay loyal to titleist but they always nice. take care of me titleist but joy i'll play the pro v uh i'll honestly play the x or the or the red um i'll play the i'll play the red or the black right now nice. it doesn't really matter as long as it's um you know free and coming out of the box i'm all good it's hard to go to the pro shop and go how much is that sleeve dude i just I have really a it that. sounds like a snob thing to say and i was never like a big time player but once you get shit for free and then yeah, you see what shit costs you're like dude <laughs> i don't care i'll play my old stuff it, i'm, I'm good Work, working in the business <laughs> fucked us for that reason <laughs> yeah dude it's a joke with some of this i'm not gonna go dump 58 bucks on a dozen balls i'm just not gonna <laughs> yeah, i'd rather no. just find some and play those makes you have an appreciation for those people that just do Oh yeah, and like, oh, you need a new driver? It's nine hundred dollars now. Yeah, no problem. Are you out of your too. mind? Yeah, nine hundred bucks? Are you kidding me? Don't even get me started on that. We don't yeah, we had a big, uh, we had a big <laughs> yeah, blowout on this. So, it's oh, not the a good shaft. Topic. Oh, this is an eight hundred dollars shaft. Oh, really? Uh, so I can hit the yourself. same piece of shit slice, you know, that I hit now. <laughs> cool. That's great. Drew, are you an outfit guy? You got the you rocking the visor. Love that. What's what's, what's the go to outfit for the golf course? Man, I'm a, so I got a little bit of a I guess like trademark look. Always visor. This is this is out of necessity more than anything. I have an enormous head. I'm pushing like a size eight head, right? So wow. I always go for a visor because hats don't fit me. Even if I can get them around my head, they they sit like really high up. They go don't go down <laughs> deep enough. So yeah. I audible to a visor. Sometime in early college, always played with a visor since then. I haven't worn a hat in 15 years in any capacity it's a look, whatsoever. Man. And then I always, um, this started in college too. My first college tournament that I won, I won our conference championship as a sophomore. And uh, like all golfers, you fight the horrible ankle tan line, right? And I used to like to wear sandals occasionally. And I was like, dude, this is killing me around campus with this fucking tan line. Like I look <laughs> like, like a fuck, right? So I started wearing high socks, like ankle socks, like tennis players wear, right? Like a Federer or something like that, like that type of stuff. So I went to one tournament, our conference championship, first time ever. I was like, I'm wearing high socks this whole week. I don't want my tan line to get like just, you know, even worse. And I wore them all three days and I won the golf tournament. I was like done never will wear short socks again and i literally never wear short socks so i wear like crew length socks or whatever you want to call it and a visor at all times that's like the socal vato look you gotta have the pants pulled off yeah that. yeah yeah the, <laughs> my pants could probably get a little bit higher but i'm more like an untucked golf shirt with high socks and a visor that's nice. kind of my, my go-to i love it what are we marking our ball up with anything superstitious you put a number you put a dot you put a line yeah when i was playing i still use the same mark i used when i was playing i was looking for something a little bit different just because everyone puts like a dot over the number or whatever things or a little triangle around the the number and things like that so i go i had the little fine point sharpie you know not mm -hmm. the big fat one i had a purple fine tip sharpie for tcu so i always marked it with purple and it's three tiny dots 
over the T on Titleist on the top, and then three tiny dots under like the ST basically on the bottom. So it's like, you know, top oh, left, nice. bottom right, three little dots, three little dots. Nobody marks their ball like that. The only problem is with the fine tip Sharpie, if you tee off in the morning and there's dew on the ground or it's she wet, knows. you might play one hole and like the mark was gone. So then I'd hit it in the shit three holes later. I was like, I got three purple dots on it on each side. And they're like, no, this one's blank. And I was like, no, 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 dude, it washed off. It washed off on hole <laughs> one. Me. I swear to God, that's my ball. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's your range warm-up look like are you superstitious oh. or are you just banging three dogs and are you talking like right season? now or when i was playing uh, i don't know mix it up i'll give you bit. right now because it's pretty basic i'm show up to the t nine minutes before i tee off Trunk slam. i there go straight go. to the eight iron my eight iron has like no grooves in it every other club's <laughs> brand new i hit about three or four full swing but slow motion eight irons just to get like a full swing i don't really worry about how i'm hitting it just to kind of loosen up and then i'll hit like three or four more real eight irons. And then I go straight to the dog and I hit about four of those. And I'm about an eight to 10 ball warm up guy. And then I go straight to the tee. That's if I have time to hit a couple putts, great. But I'm not a, my warm up session is not to be emulated by anybody trying to play good golf. That's better than mine, actually. That's Dan amazing. Phil Pot. Half yeah. the time I don't even hit a ball and I just I walk to the first tee. I'm fine. like, dude, I get as many balls off of one until I get one in play. Yeah, and then, then we'll play straight up. But yeah. I got to get at least get one in play. Yeah. I like that, bro. I'm gonna go. For, I'm gonna go with that from now on because people will give me shit when I ask for a breakfast ball. I'll be like, man, I haven't even hit a ball yet. I didn't hit any balls, bro. What yeah. are you talking about? Pull you got up here. You got an hour of warm up. You're already sweating. I just walked out of my car. I haven't even stretched. You <laughs> got to get at least let me get one in grass before we before we freaking go toe to toe. What's your uh, What's your fuel up go to? What's your turn snack? Are you a hot dog guy? You yeah, I love hot dogs, sandwich? dude. I'm a big hot dog guy. I'm more of like a liquid diet on the golf course. I'm a say. huge transfusion guy, right? That's nice. pretty much all I drink on the golf course. And uh, I, I like to get a double tranny as I get to the golf course. I would, if, if I have four minutes until we tee off, I'm going straight into the Little grill bar. and getting a drink <laughs> rather than hitting balls because we don't have a drink cart girl. You can't get another one until the turn. So I'm go. definitely not going out there unarmed for the front nine. So I'll go in there. I have a double transfusion. I get another one at the turn and then typically one or two. That's what I was drinking during the speech interview when I got blasted and everyone was giving me shit about it. Um, and then I don't give you shit. I snack wise, you for that. Snack wise, dude, honestly, like I don't, I'm not a big food dude. I, I really, I, I am, I just nothing about food. Like I don't have anything that I love. Kills the buzz. Like that. I find, Eating is like more of a nuisance to me than anything else. So like, <laughs> dude, I don't really give a shit. I'll eat a hot. I love hot dogs. Like I'll eat those um, at the turn or whatever. I'll call it in. But like, I don't know. I mean, I, I eat chicken. I eat like a five year old dude. They give me like a lunchable and a chocolate milk. Like I'm straight. But I'll it's eat like tray. I eat quesadillas at my chicken quesadillas with guacamole at our oh, golf course. So it's like my post round. You know, like I need to eat something right now. Like that's that. what I'll eat. Simple, I eat man. like legitimately like a five year old. <laughs> You'd get along Dale with Dale really well. Yeah, I, no I, I, I drink Red Bulls and transfusions and I oh, eat like a five-year-old. That's what that's I do. Poisonous. I'll that's probably honest. die in two years. Whatever. <laughs> Hell of a life, though. It's your last interview. Your yeah, last live, too. This could be it, dude. This could be pleasure, for man. the vaults. Yeah. <laughs> What's a dream foursome? Dead or alive? We always got to ask shit, that. That's I know a good cheesy. question. That's a good question. We ask, we ask stuff like this on our show, and I like never really considered what my answer would be. Um, all right, I'm going to go. Are you talking dead or alive? Or are you talking you alive? Want. Yeah. Yeah. Anything. So I'm going to, most people will characters. go like Ben Hogan, Tiger Woods, and my dad, right? Like that's yeah. the standard one. I'm going to yeah. go. I've played enough rounds with my dad. He stinks. I don't need to see any more <laughs> rounds with my dad. I'm going to go with straight entertainment value. I'll go. My, my, my group right now is nothing to do with golf. Jamie Foxx is the entertainer that oh. I respect the most. I love oh, Jamie Foxx okay. more than anyone. I think he's the best. 
all around the all the whole spectrum. He's the funniest. He's a great singer, great actor. I love Jamie Foxx. I'm What's a Jamie Foxx disciple. What's that? What's his cap? Is he a golfer? Oh, I have no idea, dude. He doesn't oh. even have to play if he doesn't yeah. want to. Just sit uh, in the car with me, bro, and just, just talk to me. Just tell me jokes <laughs> and shit. Like, I'm going straight humor because that's all really right. all I really want to do. So I would take – these are guys I, like, look up to. I'd go Jamie Foxx, number one. Don't know if he can play golf whatsoever. Yeah, number two, car. I'd go Larry David. I know he's a golfer. Wow, yeah. I've actually he's gotten to be around him one time before, and it was fucking like a dream. I didn't even talk for like an hour. I just was staring at him like, yo, say something. Yeah. Do a curb, do <laughs> a curb scene. about life. Uh, Larry David would be my number two for sure. Three would be a tough one, but I'm going to throw in my other favorite comic in the world right now. I'd like Ricky Gervais. I don't know if he's oh, a golfer yeah. at all whatsoever, yeah. but I'm going strictly. I don't need high caliber golf. I've seen good golf. I've, I've, I've been around it all. It's great and it's awesome, but I don't need to see Ben Hogan hit. I'd rather just laugh my ass off for four hours uh, than play with all the legends. So that would, that would be a dream group for me. Joe Pesci would be on the sideline. If I could have a five some, I'd throw Joe Pesci in the mix. Sick. I like the Jamie Foxx angle, but I'd like him to be a different character every like three holes. He could fucking do it yeah. too. That's yeah, the thing, exactly. bro. He'd be like, I'm gonna be Mike Tyson yeah, from one just to two. Say, I need you to be Tyson. I'm gonna turn into Ray Charles from three to four. Then I'm just gonna be me and be funny as shit for the next few. Holes. That'd be a dream, dude. That'd be an oh, absolute man. dream. This is good. That this is the best answer so far for sure. Like that one. That's probably a little different than like Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, yeah, and my brother. There's a standard yeah, like five people. Yeah, yeah. My dream yeah. is to get Larry David on this podcast and produce. If you do that, dude, I will worship you till the day you die. <laughs> Word. Yeah. I would. I would. If you could say Drew, I'm, I'm working on it, and then produce some sort of weird golf content. Yeah, he's he's like, on he a loves rock. golf. Yeah. He might as well throw it. Throw his hat in the ring. Man. There you go. He's right. the ten. Drew, how many holes in one? I got five hole in ones or holes in one, however you say it. I got five of them. A few of them are in competition. Um, Best one. How about, how Most about this memorable. one? How about this one? Well, I remember one because it was a piece of shit. It was during the time when I was trying to get some web starts. I was down in Midland, Texas, and uh, playing the Monday qualifier. I made a hole in one in the Monday qualifier. I shot a bogey free 66 and didn't even sniff, didn't even catch the playoff. I shot no made way. four birdies and a hole in one. My dad was like, hey, how'd you play? I was like, pretty fucking good i didn't make a bogey and i shot six under and i didn't i missed the playoff by one so i was like <laughs> i remember that one for sure um the longest one i've made i made one with a hybrid from like the hole was 245 it's at whisper rock but it was into the, it was probably playing 255 a little in and a little across i made one with a hybrid that's my longest one but yeah it's, i've made five but i haven't made one I haven't made one in a while. Did I'm you getting, see it go in? Like, did you see it? The whole thing? Yeah, I saw that. I've seen like of the five, I've probably seen three of them go in the hole. And uh, two of them I haven't. I have one double eagle that I that I did not see. It was like up over a tier. I was like, that's a good shot. And then you get up there, you know, normally it's over the green or something like that, yeah, right? And bunker. then I was like, couldn't, and it was in the, it was in the hole. So. That's sick. Um, I've seen a few of them, yeah. Favorite golf course in Canada? Oh, dude. Good question, bro. Good question. I think I would have to go with, I'd have to go with Royal Montreal. Um, we were out there Good for choice. the tour. Actually scratch that. It wasn't the tour championship. This is when I was running around with like Graham and James and, and your boy, Barrett Jarosh for, for a little while. Um, that, that was one thing that was so cool about the Canadians. They take such good care of those guys. I know we're not the PGA tour and things like that, but you show up with a can tour card and they're like, what do you want to do? You could play anywhere. And I was floored by that because it wouldn't be the same in the States, right? They wouldn't do that for, for web guys or, or whatever, yeah. unless you're a TPC course. And so one year we had the, um, we had a big event in Montreal towards the end of the season and they had multiple pro-ams. People showed up and drove for this thing. So you basically get one pro-am 
Uh, you can't play multiple, right? They would pay you to play the pro-am. You got like 500, 300, but I can't even remember what it was. You get some sort of money for playing the pro-am. And uh, so I played in the first one. And then I had like two days. That was like a Monday. And I had like two days of I can't play the golf course because they just stacked this thing with morning and afternoon pro-ams. And so uh, I was asking, I was like, yo, can we, is it true? We can just kind of call wherever we want and they'll let you on. So we called Royal Montreal, dude. And they're like, yep. Come on out. Have you out. Do you want to go out first off tomorrow? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> and we went out and played shoes. a foursome at like 8 a.m., dude. Carts, nobody out there. Perfect. I think the back nine of Royal Montreal. And I haven't played all the great ones. Don't get me wrong. I played Cabot. I've been up there. Um, I played. I played. I love some of the Western Canada golf courses. I really love Western Canada. I think it's beautiful. Vancouver, Victoria, all that stuff. I love that part of the country. But Royal Montreal, I thought was a really great course. Plus, with the President's Cup, dude, yeah, you remember what Mike say. Weir did Huge. and stuff. Like you, you Lincoln have a history. You know the holes, kind of right. The Aquaman, mm -hmm. Woody Austin, and all that <laughs> shit. Like we played that tee. We're like, no, dude, we're playing this hole as a drivable hole. Yeah, it's yeah. like they played it, and I, I thought uh, Royal Montreal was really, really good. But there's, there's. A litany of, of good ones up there there's Seriously. some really good yeah really good designs up here for sure yeah my last question question number 10 out of 11 what is your best score to date best score to date doesn't yeah. have to be golf can be the wife can be oh shit. Else. Shit. all right well let's start with to date? let's start with golf my best score in golf is 61 uh Ooh. done it a few courses but it was the course record at whisper rock there's two courses here the lower is the one that gets most of the play, most of the attention. I feel like if, the, if it's all things considered, most guys will go on the lower. Phil Mickelson designed it. And for a period of time, I had the course record on it, which is nice. it's been guys. I mean, every dude you can name has been around this golf course. And it was a real big feather in my cap. I was like, yo, I got the course record on the fucking lower. Like, that's a cool thing. That's a big deal. And then, day, dude, I had it for like a year. And then Chez fucking Chaz went and shot a 60 on it that bastard and he clipped me and i was like the that's shades. what you need is another course record Chaz, you son of a bitch you got enough things in golf you can't let me have the one thing that i can hang my hat on i would like introduce i think you see that golf course right there no one's ever shot lower on that course than i have right there and uh then Chaz snatched it from me and now i can't say that anymore so 61 is my lowest on the golf course my best score off the golf course shit i don't know i don't do a lot of scoring off the golf course <laughs> i beat phil mickelson out of 400 bucks once at whisper rock if that counts that's nice. probably my best. That's the most valuable 400 I ever had. Nice. Um, Ryan so yeah, Ruffles had a similar experience, but he got uh, he got in shit for that one. Here's oh, yeah. On to that question. What's the most amount of money you've lost to a player out there? Oh, man. Uh, that's tour I, so back in my day <laughs> when I was scrounging around the minis, there was a game that I used to get into between this guy. He's actually a Canadian. I'll protect his identity, but he's a Vancouver guy. I don't oh. want to out him or anything, but uh, he had a pro down here that he was like best buddies with. And then I had a guy in Denver who was a very well-to-do guy. And we would come down and play a two-man best ball type of game. Me and my buddy from Denver versus the Vancouver guy and his buddy who's a pro. And I won't mention his name, but he's now on the PGA Tour. And uh, they would—they were the financiers. They were the guys firing. like I'm talking writing checks and shit at the end of the round. Mm -hmm. And uh, me and the other guy we're just like kind of look at each other. We're just like the little billy goats. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're just along for the ride and whatever little piece of the game our, our friends wanted to give us. Like I that's hope what we, we play were playing well. for. But I saw some checks written for some serious weird type of dollars. Like I'm talking like mid, mid five figures in terms yeah. of we'd, we'd play like a two day. All right, we're going to run it. All right, you lost it. All right, double or nothing. Oh, you want again? All right, here's your check. Bam. And it was done. And if you won, you got a little piece of it or whatever. That was like honestly uncomfortable looking back on it. I mean, my buddy would talk about it. We're like, dude, this is this is too much. We're just like little, you know, 
the little pawns and their game. Like, why do we, why don't they just play each other? Why, why the hell are we here? Yeah. I gotta, I gotta throw this at you real quick. So there's a guy, Mike Laprino. Do you know Mike Laprino? I don't Denver know Mike. Guy, no. Castle Pines guy. Okay. Was a, was I, I an may owner have run of Denver into Broncos. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I got a funny story real quick. So you're talking big money games. I used to caddy down in the desert. I worked for a regular and I'll protect his identity. And these, these guys are old guys and they're worth a lot of cash, but they played every day together. And one day, the one guy lost so much money to Mike. I had to ride with him to his house to get a briefcase full of cash yeah. to take his cart back to him. Tell this motherfucker, blah, blah, blah. And then they end up playing again the next day together. I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, bring, dude, the, bring the briefcase. That's exactly what it was. I was like, why are we, why don't we just let these two idiots go play each other? <laughs> exactly. and they can, like, what are we really, because my buddy, like I said, he's on the PJ tour. He was so hard to beat out there. And I was like, right. you picked the one guy that maybe I wouldn't want to play out here. Yeah. Or, you know, that I'd feel like I'm, I'm, I'm the underdog. Or whatever, and like he picks him, and I was like, "Man, this is a tough. This is a nice tough to game. have a nice it to have that kind of money. Right? It got uncomfortable, dude. It was yeah, just like I was like, dope. I don't even know why I'm. You know what I mean? Like this we're getting a little, world. we're getting a little sliver of this action if we win, but honestly, it was just too much. The pressure of <laughs> knowing that I'm going to yeah. lose you 500 grand potentially. Yeah, is, dude. When I got a putt that he's out of the hole, and like this putt could potentially be a twenty thousand dollar, you know, bet. Yeah, I was like, dude, what am I doing? And honestly, though, is the best way to play. Like, you can't simulate nerves in golf, no. right? Like you don't know how you react and so you get it. the only way you can learn how to play with them is to have them and it's hard to do when you're not playing in a tournament so from that perspective it was probably good like i was legit really nervous because like this is my boys it's a lot of money <laughs> yeah. it ain't mine but it's still on the line you know exactly yeah. pays you got the you got the final question out of the the rapid 11 here final question here drew and i know this i'm poaching this off your Chaz interview but i i wanted your opinion on this your okay. commissioner for a day for the for the pga first thing that you were going to do to change the tour Cool. Wow. That's a great dude. That, there you go, dude. There's one of those ones like we ask people and I never have, I don't have like an answer like queued <laughs> up for it. But if I had to say commissioner for a day on the PGA tour, what would I change? I honestly might, and I, I, I may retract this later on, but being a guy that was always trying to get to the PGA tour, I might open up more spots on the PGA tour. It might be the top 100. Keep your card. All right. Like I think, so I think there's just a lot of guys that are good enough to play on the PGA Tour that don't ever get their shot because there's so few spots opening up. There's 25 in the web, and you play for another 25 at corn at web or I keep fucking up the names web.com or sorry Corn Ferry Finals. Right? Yeah. There's only like 50 guys, and a half of the a number of those spots go to guys that lost their card on the PGA Tour but play their way back on via the. the I might open it up to a little bit more. Um, to open up some more spots for guys like the young blood out there. I think a hundred might be the right number to keep on the PGA. That's what keeps you exempt. If you finish outside of that, you got to go get it back, but it just gives more openings. Cause I think there's so much youth and so many good players, so much talent that get, that get caught in that log jam right at the top that, that really never get a chance or might never get a chance just because there's so few spots and in every other sport in the world, you can get drafted. You can, you know, you get a shot, you get it, go prove yourself. Man. Here you are, Good you're answer. on the stage, go prove that you belong. I, I might like to see that more on the PGA tour. That's a good answer. That's perfect. I thought yeah. you were kind of going to, going to want to say you want Q school back, but that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I want a lot of shit in life. Going back to Q school ain't one of them, bro. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, cards at Q school would be another good one. I'd like to see at least something. Yeah, uh, something. Give five out. Give yeah. five, dude. That was a cool deal to know that you could go from nothing to the PGA Tour via Q School. That's a pretty cool deal. Totally. Sure I love it. Yeah. That's a perfect way.
Perfect way to cap that one off. Yeah. Tom, you got the, Tom, you got the final question of the night. Final question of the night. Um, yeah, we like to learn a little bit about people that they haven't revealed before. So maybe share a story with us that you haven't shared with someone else that's important to you about golf, about life, anything you want. Preferably embarrassing. <laughs> does, not, does not I'm looking for right, re, 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 rerun but... me through that because my brain was running yeah. I have ADD like crazy run <laughs> no me through worries. that again As, basically like an embarrassing story about me no it uh, doesn't need to be embarrassing nope. something that yeah just something that you haven't really shared with other people that's happened to you in life it could, if you're going with Chris's option of embarrassing maybe it can be throw a good someone story. under the under the bus if it's something that happened on a golf course with a professional that was like wow that was like a cool moment or a kid or like getting your wife like i don't know what it is but yeah just yeah yeah i'm with you i'm with you this is this is a thinker of a question right here i feel like i'm gonna whiff it and then 10 minutes later after we end this i'm gonna be like <laughs> oh dude that's the one i should have told we can keep names um, yeah, we can we can come I'll, back to we're it trying, we're trying to put you in a vulnerable situation yeah dude i'll get vulnerable with you guys i like to joke sure. around and and uh you know kind of like mess around most of the time but i'll get vulnerable with you guys i'll tell you this i don't know if this like fits the criteria but like when i quit golf uh for the first time you spend so much of your life devoting everything you got every waking minute of every waking day how do i get better all right tomorrow i'm waking up i'm practicing all right then i'm going to the gym then i'm going over here and i'm going to work on chip or my short game or putting or wedges that I remember when I first quit golf and like I said, that deal with McCord fell through on the radio show, which I was pretty excited about. So that was like, I was in a lucky situation to have something to walk into right away, even though it didn't pan out when that went away, I can remember going into like a dark place. That's why I like a lot of these athletes that we have on that are retired that had huge careers. And I had by no means had any kind of a career whatsoever, but I remember going into just like a dark spot where like so much of your self identity is caught up in like, being good at golf. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, that's your thing. That's how you identify yourself. That's your self-worth. It's like, what did I shoot today? Oh, I shot 66. I'm on cloud nine. I'm happy. I'm funny. I'm personable, all this stuff. Oh, how'd you do? I missed the cut. Now I'm dark. Now I'm in a depression. Now I'm no fun to be around. Like your entire persona, your, your entire like personality and how you interact with people is, comes, is derived from how well you played your game. And I feel like it's so different than other other professions like i don't know many accountants that come home and be like oh i was shitty with numbers today i hate myself you know what i mean but like in golf that's what it is and when all of a sudden like i said i was no i was nothing special in the golf world i was a decent little player but i was in the top 99 percent of the planet basically you know what i mean and doing what i did and going from that to like starting over you're a runt you're doing nothing you're here's your cubicle go in there and sit down and learn this shit or, Hey, go do this errand for me. You become a nothing. I remember the, like the humility and the just kind of like, I don't want to call it depression because I'm not like a depressed guy. I'm pretty fairly happy, but like that kind of reality check was one of the realest things I've ever been a part of before where I was like, I know I wasn't special. I wasn't a Jordan speed. I wasn't doing anything crazy in this game, but I was pretty good at what I did. And I was, an, mm -hmm. I was, an, like I said, I reached, I worked my whole life to get to the very, very tippy top. And I just couldn't get through that little crack in the door that when I quit, I, it took a long time after that radio show went away to like kind of find myself. And in all honesty, in the last call it two years since I've been doing like this quote unquote media stuff that I find that I really enjoy and I like it. I wake up in the morning excited for what I do. I really kind of lost like a bit of me of like what makes me special or what makes me cool or what makes me different from everyone else. And that was a, a really hard climb. That's why when 
we talk to athletes who have retired and stuff. I'm always interested to get that perspective because you need to fill that void that's been there for your whole life. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that until you find the thing that does fill that? And it took me a long time to do it. And um, yeah, there were some times there where I was just, like clueless. It, it, I just felt like, I know I don't want to go try pro golf again, but what the fuck am I now? Yeah, like, I'm not yeah. a golfer. What do I do? You know yeah. what I mean? And that's a, that's a real thing. And it was, it was a struggle for me for sure. And I know it is for everyone. That's why I think so many guys hang on and hang on and hang, you know, playing at 38, 39, 40, never had a PGA tour card. I think cause they're scared of that. Right. They're scared to go into the real world. What scared do I do now? Yeah. yeah and I, and I, that was real for me too, dude. I kind of jumped in head first, but, but that doesn't limit the, the impact that it had on my life because I was, I was lost for a little bit, just searching, just grabbing for straws. Like, yo, what can I do? How do I make money? What am I good? At? What am I good at? What makes me different from this guy right now? Yeah. It's like you know? the fear of becoming the butterfly, right? Like change is inevitable at some point. It's funny. Cause growing up, I always like what you just said, I almost equated it to going through like school, right? Like, from first grade to sixth grade, you eventually are at the bottom of the totem pole. You work your way up to yeah. like sixth and then like you go into middle school and you're back down. At now the you're bottom. back. Yeah. yeah. And then you go up and then boom, back at high school, then college again. And then in real life. And it is interesting in the world of an athlete because it's like you have something to attach your identity to that like helps yeah, you this deal is what with makes that me different. Validates right? like, you. Yeah. This is what makes me unique. This is why I'm different or I'm special or whatever word, whatever adjective that I use for it. And then all of a sudden you're 30 and you're like, oh, you're zero. And all your buddies who got regular jobs coming out of college have now worked their way up the ladder. And now there's something and they got a pretty good career or whatever. And you're like, I'm just starting, bro. I'm yeah. an infant. Like you're like a little baby deer that's trying to find its legs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you don't know how to walk in real life because all you've done is play golf and it's a it's a real thing. So I don't know if that was like, you know, kind of if that really answered the question you're looking for, but I can remember that time. And that was what makes me so thankful for what I'm doing now, even though it's kind of in its infancy still. It's uh, it's cool to find a thing that you a think you're fairly good at, but that you really enjoy doing. And yeah. hopefully, hopefully the stuff that we do is something that people enjoy listening to because I know we enjoy doing it. I know I enjoy listening to it, and it from an outsider looking on the looking into the inside of yeah, just what happened over your career and kind of where how it transitioned. It's cool to see how it, like it all added up to something, right? Like you were given your set of experiences in life. The McCord thing probably primed you to be ready for something in the radio world, and then it's cool to see what you guys are doing day in yeah. and day out. Yeah. Dude, you could you could have ended up with a face tat and a rock band, so I think you're in a good spot. Right? <laughs> the yeah. Face tat's not out of the equation yet, dude. Nice, Don't I like rule it. That out. I, got, podcast, I got a spot bro. allocated Four right here, right here. Add to my street credit. Your drop. Bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Broken tea. Uh huh. Yeah, that might work. <laughs> That might work. Love it, man. It's been a lot of fun to have you on the show tonight, Drew. Well, dude, thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it. I've done a few of these before, and, and you guys uh, come prepared, and you do a great job, and uh, I, I noticed that. So thank you, and best of luck to you guys going forward. If I can ever help in any way, please feel free to uh, hit me up. We appreciate that, and thank you once again for jumping on, and can't wait to talk to you again. You got it, boys. Take care. Appreciate right, you. Buddy. Peace, Drew. Keep it in, keep it in short stuff. We'll talk to you soon. You got it.